0: Good morning, church. Um, As we get ready, if you could open your Bible or get your app open. and uh, I'm going to be reading out of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. My name is Carlton Fukumoto. I'm the administrator here. I also lead the men's ministry, and my wife and I lead the re-engaged marriage enrichment ministry as well. So today as we read, um, just open your hearts and your mind to receive a blessing from God. So Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10. being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them,
1: amen. Amen, thank you, Carlton. That is the word of the Lord. And uh, my name is Greg, and I'm, I'm going to uh, help us understand this passage a little bit better. And so let's open up in a word of prayer and ask that the Lord actually is the one who teaches us this morning. All right, let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much for this journey that we started just a couple weeks ago in the book of Ephesians. Lord, it is rich. God, this book is so rich. And this passage is one of the most important passages uh, we we really, really need to um, soak in and understand. So Lord, we pray that you would do that for us. You would help us uh, to have the hearts to be able to receive it. I pray for everyone listening, God, whether we're watching from home or we're here in person, God, that, that Lord, we would hear from your Holy Spirit. God, we want to be a church that helps people find and follow Jesus. So I pray that if there's anyone listening who does not know you yet, Lord, that they would find you and perhaps the scripture will help them to see that you are right before them in your grace. And for those who have found your already, I pray that we would just follow you even more so because of this reminder of your grace, what you have done for us. And so help us to be uh, even more devoted to you as we dig into your word. As we dig, God, we, we pray that we would discover goal and see uh, this amazing grace you've shown us. So bless us, Lord, speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We all say amen, amen. amen. Well, if I haven't met you, um, my name is Greg, and I'm just so glad that you are here with us today. And you know, to start off the message, I want to I start off by showing you this picture. Uh, this is a picture of a very famous sculptor. Yeah, it's SBCC friendly, so don't worry. I know we got some youngins in the house, but uh, this is one of the most famous pieces of art in history. It stands about 17 feet tall, and it's there in Florence, Italy, for everyone to see. People from all over the world come and visit, and they want to see this sculpture. You might know the name of it, but I'm wondering if you know the story behind it. If you don't, let me share with you. In 1464, it's the Italian Renaissance, and there's a, a commissioning group who wanted to have this huge statue grace the Florence Cathedral, and so they, they hire an artist named Antonio to, to build a sculpture that they had in mind. And so he goes to Tuscany, gets this huge slab of marble, this big piece of stone, so he can start working on the statue. And as he's beginning his work, he realizes that this block of stone has all sorts of imperfections. It has cracks, tiny holes, it has blemishes. And at some point, he deems it unusable. He says, I can't work with this. And so he eventually walks away from the project, and he abandons it, leaves it there for about 10 years. It's sitting in a cathedral courtyard, exposed to the elements. It's wasting away, and it's just sitting there lifeless. 10 years go by. They say, let's resurrect this project. So they hire another artist by the name of um, Agostino. Actually, Agostino was the first guy. The second guy is Antonio. And so Antonio comes, and he starts working on it, and he quickly into it realizes I can't work with this. And for whatever reason, he walks away from the project and he abandons it and leaves it there in the courtyard for another 26 years. So 36 years go by. It's sitting there in the courtyard, exposed to the elements, wasting away, and it was doomed for destruction. You would look at that big piece of rock and say it's, it's dead. It's as good as dead. It's lifeless. And I share that with you to open up because I think that's what the Apostle Paul was saying to the Ephesians. And, you know, he might say that to us, that you too, like that stone, you are lifeless, you are dead, and you are doomed for destruction. Let me show you again. Carlton just read that for us, but look at Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3. He says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, which is you, by the way. It says in verse 3, among whom all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's pretty <laughs> strong language. He says you're dead, lifeless. And some of you guys are like, that, that's that's. That's too much. Well, why are you saying that? Well, let me try to paint a picture for you. Here's what I think it looks like. You know, before I got married, um, in my young adult years, my friends and I would go on a backpacking trip every year. We'd choose a national park and do a backpacking trip. And oftentimes it was Yosemite. Yosemite is one of my favorite places to be on earth. And we would hike up Yosemite Falls. And if you've never hiked up your 70 Falls, it is several miles. It takes several hours to get to the top, um, a full day. And in the middle of the summer, which is when we would go, it would be re- blazing hot some days, 80s, 90s, and even hotter as you're climbing up this, this cliff, uh, this, this granite like rock, this mountain. And So one so year we were hiking up, we finally get to the top. Okay, blazing hot, I'm tired, I'm hot, I'm sweating. When you get to the top, there's this river. There's this river that kind of pours into Yosemite Falls. And everything in my bones, like everything in me wants to jump into this river and satisfy my flesh, my burning flesh. Like I just want, it's so refreshing, it looks so rejuvenating, I want to jump in. But there's signs that tell you, do not jump in, do not come near the water. Why? Why? Because the reality is, if you jump in, you're moving. That's the reality of rushing rivers. You jump in, you're not staying in the same place. You will will go with the current of the river, and in this case, you will go over the falls. And that's the reality, right? You you jump into a river, there's only one direction you're going, one of two directions. You're either going downstream, or you're going upstream. And if you're going downstream, you could be swimming with it, or you could do nothing at all, and it's going to take you downstream. Or if you have enough power, power greater than yourself, you can try to go upstream, but there's only one direction you're going. And in the same way, when when we come into this world, the reality is we are going in a certain direction. We're going in the ways of the world. We're going with the current of the culture. That's just very natural of what it's like when we enter into this world. It's like entering into a river. You will naturally go the course of the world. And so the, the Hebrews, they have an idiom to describe one's manner of life. They, they use this picture of one's walk. The way you walk, that's, that's your manner of life. And what Paul points out here to the Ephesians is that you were like the rest of mankind, like everybody else. You, you are walking in the ways of the world. If you want to use the river analogy, you're moving in this way. It's the way of your flesh. It's what satisfies your flesh or your, your mind. It's the same way as the rest of the world. So two ways essentially to walk. You walk this way, which he says is the way of the dead. You go this way, this is, you're the walking dead. Or you could go the way of life, one of two directions. Now, again, I, I know that's strong to say that word dead. But verse 1, he, he said, look, you're, you're walking dead in your trespasses and sins. You're dead. Now, trespasses, that word he uses is this word that literally means to cross the line, right, or to go off course. That's the word he uses for trespass. And then the word sin is hamartia or hamartia is plural here, which simply means to miss the mark. So if you, if you imagine a target as a target, um, God has a perfect moral standard, and we sometimes we fall short, right? We miss the target. There's things that he has created us for, he wants us to do, and we fall short. And I, I, I share that with you because it's important, because some of us are unsettled by this idea that we should be dead in our transgressions. And since that sounds so harsh, and many of you listening, maybe you're listening online, you're thinking, I'm not an." Un- An evil person. I'm not a bad person. You're probably thinking, I'm actually good. I try to do more good than bad, and I wouldn't push back. I know a lot of you are really good people, but the reality of sin is sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes you meaningfully cross the line, and you know you're doing so, but then sometimes you could be trying to do good, but there's times when you just fall short. Right? The book of James tells us that the sin of omission is, is when you don't do the good you ought to do. You're not trying to do bad, but there's things that God desires and you just end up not doing it. All of it is considered sin and ultimately it's considered disobedient to God. Now understand if you are walking in this way as we all once were, right, That there's a power at work, a power greater than us at work that's influencing this. Who's that power? We'll look at verse 2 again. When it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in the way you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, who is the prince of the power of the air? Well, just very straightforward. That, that's the devil. That's Satan who's behind all this. And what, what is he doing? Well, he's trying to get us to go in a way that's opposed to God. If this is God and this is, this is where Christ stands, this is a way opposed to him. And that's his scheme, to get us to walk in disobedience. That's his master plan. Now, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14, and 15 tells us this about Satan. And this is so important for us to understand. It says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Well, I point that out to you because I, I, I really believe that Satan probably looks more like an angel, good angel, than the devil. At least the devil we've created in our minds or the devil that that Hollywood presents to us. Like, you know, that guy who looks sinister. He has the horns and the goatee and the the pitchfork. and the He does not look like that. He does not look like that. In fact, he looks like a really good angel, an angel of light. I think about Genesis 3 when the devil... Satan himself appears before Eve, and did you notice that when she sees him, she doesn't take off running, appalled by his appearance, and wants nothing to do with him. That's not the case. I think when we think about serpents, we think of something that's slithery and slimy and hissing at you, right? That's what I think, just a few weeks ago, I I was riding my bike, I was mountain biking on this trail, and right in the middle of the trail is this big old rattler. I took a picture really quick. I wanted nothing to do with this. It was rattling, it was hissing, and I got out of there so quick. Because I have an e-bike, I got out twice as quick. Those things are game changers. Got out of there so quick, but I wanted nothing to do with it. And yet Genesis 3, Eve's not going that way. She's going closer to it. There's something really appealing and attractive about the serpent. Here's what he says to her in Genesis 3 verse 46. I want to show you what happened. So the serpent said to the woman, you, you, you will die, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, is that bad? She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And so for one, he wasn't so hideous and evil looking that she wanted to run away, but she was drawn in and not by his appearance so much, but what he was offering was good to her. Like the, that I would know between good and evil. Isn't that a good thing? That I would be like God? Shouldn't we all want to be like God? And so she saw that the food was good. It was delightful to her eyes. Everything about this is good. Now, is that inherently evil? It's not. But it is if it's disobedient. God created all the trees of that garden and it was good, but he told them just don't eat from this tree. And going opposed to God, going in the opposite direction, that's disobedience. And that is the essence of sin. And so Adam and Eve fall into this. And Paul says that this prince of the power of the air who's at work, who's at work in them, is also now at work in the sons of disobedience. I hate to break this to you. That's, that's you and that's me. Now, that's harsh. Why are you calling us sons of disobedience? Well, quite simply, we are sons and we are daughters of disobedience. Why? Because we came from Adam and Eve. Like we were born out of Adam and Eve, and because they disobeyed, we inherit their disobedient nature. We are sons and daughters of disobedience. That is what we're born into. Like jumping into this world, jumping into a rushing river, we will naturally go in the way of disobedience. It's just what we're born into. And so the devil is at work in everything that's causing us to walk that way, to walk opposed to God. And when we do, we are dead in our trespass and sin, we are heading for final destruction. The Bible says one day we will die, then we will have to face judgment. And here's the thing. When you're dead, you're unresponsive, right? When you're dead, you're not doing anything but be dead. You're not reviving yourself. If somebody is declared dead because they drowned or had a heart attack and their heart stopped beating, their breath stopped, they have no breath in their lungs, what is true? Well, what's true is that dead person isn't reviving themselves. They're not giving themselves mouth to mouth. They're not performing CPR on themselves. They're doing nothing because they are not able to jumpstart their own heart and to get themselves to breathe again. They're dead. And so Paul pronounces those who walked in sin, who walked in transgressions, you are dead in it. You can't bring yourself back to life. And I would say to, the, to all of us, you were dead. 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 But God. Two of the most beautiful words in the Bible, two of the smallest yet hugest words in the Bible, but God. Here's what he says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. You were dead, but God, by his grace, has saved you. Can I get an amen? Amen to that, right? By his grace, and he makes it very clear, it's nothing you did. You didn't do enough good works. You did not earn it. He did not owe you. You were totally unable to. You were dead, yet God revived you by his grace. He has saved us. Now, for the rest of the time, I want to answer this question. What does he save us from? I want to give you two things he saves us from, and then I want to give you one thing he saves us for. Okay, so if you're taking notes, here's the first thing he saves us from. Number one, God saves us from final death. He saves us from final death, from going over eternal falls. Look... Look what he says again in verse 5. He says, By grace you've been saved. And then in verse 6, and raised up with him. And in verse 5, he said, You were dead, but he made you alive, and now you've been raised up. You're heading for destruction. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 that we will all die and then face judgment after that. And if that judgment, if we are found guilty, We are going to experience a final and eternal death for the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Maybe you're familiar with this passage, Romans chapter 3. Verse 23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We missed that mark. But here's the good news. Verse 24, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You are justified by grace. Justified is another word for salvation. You're saved by grace, justified by grace, but there's a nuance to this word. And I want to share with you the greatness of this word. The word justified means to be declared innocent, declared righteous by the judge, declared not guilty, as if you didn't sin. I, I, I love this picture. One of my favorite examples of this is uh, my wife. Uh, she always makes fun of me for driving so slow. She said, I drive like a grandma. So every time we need to get somewhere, she takes the key. She insists on driving because she, I'm just going to take too long, right? So we're coming back from this family trip uh, far away. So we're, 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 she's like, give me the keys. I'm driving. And So she gets into the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat. We're driving on this long stretch of highway, long stretch of highway. There's no cars around. And, you know, when, when you're on a road like that, you, you pick up speed and you don't even know it, right? So we're driving. She's driving. And all of a sudden we hear, "Do. Right? We look in the mirror, oh, man, we're getting pulled over. And sure enough, we, we get pulled over, the cop gives her a speeding ticket. And I go, booyah, that's what you get for driving too fast, right? And so she gets the speeding ticket, and she decides she's going to try to show up in court on the court date. And uh, she wants to try to see if she can get traffic school so she doesn't get a point on her record. And so on the day of the, uh, the court date, she wakes up super early because she has to drive back to Barstow. That's where we got the ticket. That's hours from Torrance, California. So she drives all the way to Barstow to show up in court to get there on time. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, you're crazy. What are you doing? Like, just pay the ticket. You're guilty, right? And so she goes, and, and, and she, she, she spends all day there. Then she drives hours back so she doesn't get back till later that day. I'm like, you're crazy. She walks into the house. I go, so how was it? You know what she says to me? She goes, you could call me Miss Dismissed. I'm like, what? What do you mean? She got, I got dismissed. I'm like, what do you mean you got dismissed? She's like, the judge just let me go. I don't have to pay a penalty. I don't have to pay a ticket. I don't have to go to driving school. I'm like, how could that be? You're guilty. You were speeding. I, I saw you were speeding. She says, well, the officer who gave me the ticket didn't show up. And so the judge just said, you're free to go. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. Why? Because I know she's guilty. And yet, I, <laughs> I know it wasn't because she fought a good case. I know it's because the it's not because the judge owed her. It's not because she's innocent. But it's purely because of his decision as a judge with authority by his word. That's how it's going down. From that day forward, it's never held against her. It will never be brought up again. You can check her record. There's nothing there. There's no penalty against her. She was justified by grace, declared innocent. And that's exactly what happens when you trust in Jesus Christ. The judge looks at you and he says, not guilty, forgiven, free to go. And I'll tell you this, it's not because someone failed to show up. It's not because there was no one there present. I'll tell you the opposite is just because somebody showed up. Someone showed up to pay the penalty for you. His name is Jesus. And he paid the price so that you would be declared innocent, not guilty, and free to go. It's nothing you did. It's nothing you did, but it's because of the grace of Christ. You've been justified by grace. In verse 24, it says, through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus, he paid the ransom. You've been redeemed. Nothing you deserve, you did nothing to earn it. By grace, you've been saved from final and eternal death. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's one thing he saves us them. Grace saves us from final death. Number two, God saves us from present powers. Would you write that down? God saves us from present powers. You know in verse 5 where it says, you've been saved by grace. That word saved, this is kind of nerdy, but in the Greek, it's written in a perfect participle. What does that mean? Well, a perfect participle is something that's happened in the past. It's an action that was completed in the past, but its effects are ongoing. So though it took place 2,000 years ago, you were saved in the past, its effects are ongoing for eternity. It's a daily experience, a reality for you. And then he goes on, he says, you've been saved by grace, and then in verse six, and raised us up with him, and then he says, and you were seated with him in the heavenly places, In Christ Jesus that's what his grace it seats you with him in the heavenly place now that's weird because I know I'm right here on a stage in Torrance California so how in the world am I with him in the heavenly place in the highest heavenly place how is that possible well let me try to explain to you what I think this means remember last week we talked about how Paul was praying that they would know that they would know that Christ was risen From the dead, he 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 was raised from the dead, and then he was exalted to the highest place at the right hand of the throne of God. And Paul said, far above all rule, all power, all authority and dominion. And we talked about how Paul is saying he's seated in the highest position of authority over even the spiritual powers and the evil forces in the spiritual realm. He has authority over them and everything else in the universe. And what Paul's saying now is if you are made alive in Christ, you are seated with him. You share in those privileges. You share in that authority that Christ has. And if Christ is with you and you're with him and he is in you, then guess what? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That means the daily experience of his grace is that you too are being saved from powers of this world, spiritual powers. You have authority over them. But don't be proud. Be humble because that power isn't in you and that you inherently have this power. No, it's in Christ, but Christ is in you. And so do not fear because we have power and authority over even the demonic realm. Let me show you the power of authority that's given to you. Speaking of uh, speeding tickets, the reality is uh, sometimes I do drive a little fast. Sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes. Now I'm just kidding. I don't. For the sake of this illustration, let's say I drive, I drive too fast, and sometimes uh, there's a car behind me that's black and white and has lights on the top of it. And when I see that in my rearview mirror, I'll be very honest. I my heart starts beating. I what do I do? I hit the brakes, try to get within speed limit, and my palms are sweaty because I'm wondering if I'm going to get pulled over. Why are those emotions going on inside of me? Because I recognize that that police officer has been given authority, right, by by higher governing powers, whether it's the city or the state. And so if he says, pull over, I'm pulling over. If he says, this is a ticket you got to pay, I'm paying that ticket. Why? Because he has authority over me and I have to comply. Now, how many of you um, sometimes drive a little too fast, not not you guys, like other people, right? Other churches, right? Other people in other churches drive fast. But let's say you drive too fast, right? Thank you for your honesty. And, and you're driving too fast, and you see a car behind you, and you look in the rearview mirror. You don't see lights going off yet, but there's, there's like a light on top of the car, and it's falling. What do you do? You slow, you, you slow down. You hit the brakes, right? But as you hit the brakes, it gets closer to you, and you look closer. You're like, wait, hold on. That's not a police officer. That's parking enforcement, right? <laughs> like, like, like this, right? Or it's Delamo Security, and you're like, ah. Oh. Or even worse, it's some teenage dude who bought a used patrol car like this, and you're like, oh, he's got nothing on me, right? <laughs> and so you're like, oh, whatever. So what do you do then? You hit the gas again because he's got no authority. He could be 215 pounds, pure muscle, but he's got nothing on you. He could be big. He could be bad. But if he's got no badge, he's got nothing. And that's... The difference between one who has been given authority and one who's got none. The devil and the demons recognize. They know that Jesus has been given supreme authority. That he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. The book of James chapter 2 verse 19 says, the demons acknowledge God and they shudder. They tremble and fear at the sound of his name. They tremble at the name of Jesus. They recognize his authority, and if you, church, have been raised, and you are seated with him in the highest place, in that place of power and authority, then guess what? Fear not, for he who is with you and he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. And so in this world, they will appear as servants of righteousness, as angels of light, and they will try to tempt you. In this world, there will be powers that will try to deceive you. There will be powers at your work that will try to depress you and and divide you. There will be powers at work who try to to discourage you, put you in despair. There will be all sorts of powers who will try to fill you with all kinds of lies and mistruths. But proclaim the power of Christ, and I pray that you would daily experience the saving grace The reality of your salvation and the fact that you are seated in the highest place along with the authority of Christ that is with you. And stay humble. It's not because you climbed the ranks. It's not because you are inherently powerful in yourself. It's purely the kindness and the grace of Christ that he has saved a seat for you. So he has saved you from final death. God has saved you from present powers. Finally, the last thing I want to share with you from this passage is he has saved us for good works. Would you write that down? He has saved us for good works. The last verse of today's passage, verse 10, says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So so recap, we were once heading this way. We were walking dead, headed for final destruction, but by grace, you've been picked up, turned around, made alive, and now you have a new walk. Now you're walking this way toward Christ, and now that you have a new walk that's characterized by good works, God is now displaying his grace through you to magnify his glory through you. You were created for this. And that's why Paul says you are his workmanship. That word he uses is in the Greek word is the word poema. It's the word, it's the word uh, that's where we get poem from. A poem is when an artist creates his work of art to express himself. You are his poema, his workmanship, his craftsmanship. I like how one version puts it, you're his masterpiece. You're his work of art. You were made for this, and so let's be very clear. You were not saved because of your good works, and your works were dead. You weren't saved because of your good works. You were saved because of God's work, the work of his son on the cross. That was the work, but now that you've been saved by God's work, he has now saved you for good works because in these good works, people will now see the grace of Jesus Christ in you. You were made for this. This is his purpose for you. This is what he has prepared for you to do. And that's so important because sometimes tragically today, so many people boil salvation down to simply saying something with their lips. Right? Sometimes people boil salvation down to to this oida. Remember we talked about oida last week when you get something conceptually? And so they know that Christ died and they rose from the grave, so they profess it on their lips. Maybe they pray a prayer. And since they say, oh, grace covers all my sin, they continue to walk in this way. They continue to live as they've always done. And I want to be very honest with you. If this is you or this is someone you know, they are headed for final death. They're still dead in their sins, even if you said it with your lips. Now, how do you know if someone who has said it with your lips, which many of you have done, how do you know if the person is dead or if the person is alive? I'll tell you the the evidence of one who was sincere and who is truly saved, their life has been turned around and they are now walking a new way, walking a new walk, doing good works that are driven by salvation. And so our good works are not to earn our salvation, our good works are proof of our salvation. It's a result, it's a response of our salvation. This is how you know when somebody has been truly saved. And so it's so important that that you understand this picture of repentance. Repentance is changing your mind, changing your direction. And true repentance is evidence of one who has been truly saved. And the closer we move toward Christ, the more we walk in him and perform good works to display him, the more we look like Jesus. This is what God has created you, church. He's created you for this. And so he's prepared these works for you to be an expression of his beautiful grace. You're his masterpiece. or his poyema. Understand that God's plan wasn't just to save you from death. That's such a big part of his plan, but ultimately he wants to create in you an image of Christ to display to the world his glorious grace and his glory and power that you would walk in Christ, you would work out Christ, and Christ would be seen. And so, that big slab of marble, that big stone, sat there in the courtyard in Italy for 36 years in total. Lifeless, dead, exposed to the elements, doomed for destruction, wasting away. And then in 1500, The commission wanted to revive it again to to once bring this project back to life. And so they asked some more Italian artists and they all rejected. History tells us they even reached out to Leonardo da Vinci. I almost said Leonardo DiCaprio. I meant (laughs) Leonardo da Vinci. And he actually rejected it. He said, I don't want anything to do with it. Until along came this young artist named Michelangelo. And in 1501, he began to take it on, and he turned this stone upside down, right side up, and he started chipping away and carving away until it became this beautiful masterpiece known as David. This is one of the world's greatest works of art. People all over the world who travel to Italy come to visit it, and in this sculpture, it depicts David with a sling over his shoulder and a stone in his hand. It's just an ordinary servant of God who in obedience is about to make God glorious, to do an extraordinary act to make God look glorious by going up against a giant in obedience. That's David. Now, how did Michelangelo turn this lifeless, dead piece of stone into one of the most beautiful masterpieces ever? I love how he's quoted as saying, this is a quote, He said, I saw the angel in the marble, and I carved it until I set him free. That's a cool quote. But there's another quote from Michelangelo that resonates even more, especially as I think about Ephesians 2. He said this. He said, I created a vision of David in my mind, and I simply carved away everything that was not David. Not good. I created an image of David in my mind, and I started carving away everything that is not David until David was on display. I love the fact that you are God's masterpiece. You are his poema, his creation. You were found dead in your trespasses and sin. And after he found you by his grace, he doesn't just save you, but he's daily shaping you. And God sees in you, before you were even born, he sees the image of Christ. And he is carving away everything that is not Christ. He is in your life chipping away at everything that is not Christ until Christ is beautifully displayed in you. And so you came into this world, you were dead and lifeless. Maybe you were walking in greed. He wants to change you and now help you to walk in giving. Maybe you walked in addiction to pornography. He wants to change your life and help you to walk in purity. Maybe you came into this world and naturally you walk in selfishness. He wants to change you and help you to grow in serving others. You were dead in your way and in your walk, in your trespasses and sin, but by His grace, God has made you alive. He has saved you. From final death, he has saved you from present powers, and he is saving you for good works to display Christ in you. Church, you are his masterpiece. And so let the master do much of you. Let him make much of you and express his beautiful grace through you. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads, and let's come before the Lord in response. Let's worship him in our hearts. and. I want to give you a moment just to thank him for his grace, his amazing grace. If you're a believer in Christ and you know you've been made alive, just, just worship him right now in your hearts. <clears throat> and if, if you don't know Jesus, I want to talk to you right now. Maybe, maybe um, you know that you're walking in the wrong way. And maybe you've even prayed a prayer before and you've professed it with your lips, but you know you're walking in the wrong way. You're just one step away from God, and that's the step of grace. Even if you walked a hundred steps in the wrong direction, you're one step away by grace. And know that His kindness leads us to repentance. There's no prerequisite. I don't know what you did this morning before you started listening this morning. It doesn't matter. It's not what you've done or failed to do. But it's simply embracing the grace that Christ already did the work, and He wants to give you this gift. So, if that's you, you can know for sure this moment that you have life. Can <clears throat> ask for a life that's turned around, and and from this day forward, God will walk with you in the right direction. So, I want to encourage you to just talk to God and profess a genuine faith in your heart that you want to turn around you want to receive his grace and know that from this day forward you have you're walking to eternity you're walking into eternal life. So I'll pray out loud and encourage you to pray something similar or the same thing to God as if you were talking to him. Father God thank you so much for reminding me today of your grace. I didn't deserve it. I've fallen short, but thank you so much That's not about what I've done, but it's about what Christ has done. So forgive me of my sins and help turn me around. Help me now to walk that way toward Christ. Help me to live out the works that you've created me for so that I can be an expression to the world of your goodness, your kindness, and your grace thank you for setting me free for forgiving me and declaring me not guilty I give you my life would you take it for eternity thank you Lord so let's church let's respond let's respond with worship and let's just sing out with all that we've got with genuine thankfulness and gratitude we pray this Lord in Jesus name amen